0: I want to thank uh, Rev. Dosi and Andrew for allowing me to speak to you the Word of God. Turn with me in the passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. We're still going through our series. Chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, I will read. And then the first two verses of chapter 5. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, and that is not Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have been reading the past three chapters of Ephesians for the last month or so. Well, actually longer, about a month and a half. (laughs) And Paul has been teaching us about all the blessings that you and I have in Christ Jesus. But now in chapter 4, there's a change. He's no longer going to be talking to us about all the blessings he's given to us. But now, He has something He wants from us. Two weeks ago, Andrew started this in chapter 4 and shared some of that. But now, let's look at the passage we have today. Let's look at verse 17, and we're just going to walk through it. It's It's a long passage, but I'm going to move quickly through it, but just stay with me. I believe Holy Spirit has something He wants us to learn here today. Paul says in verse 17, Now this I say, and testify... That word, this I say, is actually therefore. So Paul is telling us, look back at what I've just told you previous to this, and that would have been Andrew's message. But I want us to just look for a moment at the last verse prior to the one I just read, verse 16, because therefore always refers in context to the previous verse. Paul says in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When it says there that, we're, that we must no longer walk, he's talking about, I don't want you to, to live like this. This is back to verse 17. So now he's telling us in verse 16 that we're a body. We're joined together, and that word joined there is to weave together, flow together, fitted together. It implies intimacy. And I want to know this morning, and God wants to know, are we flowing together in this body here at St. Paul's? Are we weaved together, or is there divisions amongst us? Do we have aught with one another? Is it our four and no more? Because we're supposed to be joined together, held together by every joint. And that word joint there means a connection, like a tube where Holy Spirit flows through it. Are we seeing the Holy Spirit flowing in and out of our lives with one another? Or are you here just doing your part? Yes, we all have a part to play. God has said we are a body. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet. Some of us are eyes, some of us are mouths, and we speak. Each part is no better than the other. We all work together. We flow together in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit this morning is wanting us to flow, to be joined together, working properly so that the body will grow and become stronger. Are we growing stronger or are we just going on like we always have. We always come to church, pay our tithe, do our offerings, have communion, play my part possibly in the worship team, preaching, serving in the back coffees. What's your part? Those things are good, but God is wanting intimacy with us. He wants us to know each other. Do you know the person across from you? Have you gone out to lunch with them? Have you shared your heart with them? Are you talking to one another? Do you even care? Or are you only interested in your group? Because if that's the case, we're missing God. Let's go on. Verse 17, he testifies in the Lord that we must no longer walk, that means living, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now the word Gentile means heathen or, or wicked. We don't want to walk in wickedness. We don't want to copy our lives after the world. We want to be different. We're a body. Your hand doesn't operate differently. It operates differently, but it's, it's connected to the foot and the leg. But, but in the church these days, it's like we're, the foot's way over there and the arms over here and the, and, and the chin is up here. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to flow together. So don't walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility, or that word means vanity, of our minds. Don't be vain. And don't let, it, don't let it operate in your mind. The mind is the battlefield that we face each and every day as believers. And God wants you to prepare yourself each and day, each and every day by first of all, praying on the armor of God. Now that's another subject for chapter six. I don't want to steal someone else's uh, sermon, but I will say this. God wants us to pray on the helmet of salvation first thing in the morning to take those thoughts captive that you and I struggle with. Are you struggling with fear or anxieties in this difficult time we're in during the pandemic? Do you struggle with anger? Do you struggle with being controlling? Do you struggle with lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life? What is your battle in your mind? God wants us to deal with it first thing in the morning so that those things don't control our lives. Take captive every thought, the Bible says, to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So we're not to walk in the futility of of the Gentile-like mind or the wicked mind, or the or the heathen mind. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Wow. Romans 1.22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they become foolish. See, an unbelieving person will always feel their right. Even though they're in lie, they're walking in lies and they're in deception. They profess themselves to be wise, but they are foolish. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6 says, just real briefly, Satan has blinded the minds of the unsaved. When you share Christ with someone, and we have a team here that goes out, Reverend Dosi and Ivan, and I think Simon. But when you go out to share the gospel with the unsaved, the first thing you have to understand is an unsaved person has deception over their minds. You have to bind that spirit of deception over the mind of an unbeliever before they could even hear what you have to say. So you, you disarm it in the spirit, in the name of Jesus. I cast aside that spirit of deception. You don't say it out loud. You pray it under your under your breath. Or you pray before you even left the house. To remove that spirit of deception, that blindness that Satan has caused on the minds of unbelievers. And then you have them finally at the place where they can make a decision in and of themselves. They may receive Christ. They may not. But at least that there will be no demonic interference. Remove it. Remove that blinding from the enemies that the enemy has put on their eyes. Verse 19, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That word uh, sensuality there has a meaning of being selfish, but it also goes further than that. It has a meaning of sexual impurity, we get our word lasciviousness from this, uncleanness filthy. We're not to be like that in our minds or in our words. And too often, even in church, we see that happening. I remember I attended a church in California. The pastor was a, quite a quite a good preacher, pre- preached on the truth, quite often preached strong against sin. But it was interesting. Every time I would go outside and he'd get alone with me, he'd say, hey, i got a joke for you, Lloyd. And he'd tell me a joke and they were increasingly filthy. Finally, the Holy Spirit just began to deal with me. You know, you've got to confront this guy. You can't let him keep telling you that. So finally I said, pastor, you know, you keep sharing those jokes with me. They're filthy. Stop it. I don't want to hear them. And he was shocked that I, that I told him that. I don't think anyone had ever challenged him that what he was doing was wrong. And you might say, well, I don't do that. Most of us are pretty prim and proper. But what are you sharing with your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth that maybe God wants you to do a checkup from the neck up, to check your thinking, to see if it's stinking? We need to be, keep short accounts with God daily, checking to see if we're doing the right things. Verse 20, but that is not the way you have learned Christ. You know, one thing I want to say, though, before I go on there, I, mi- I missed the word greedy there. The greedy was probably the most important word in that previous verse, verse 19. Practicing every kind of impurity, but it's from sensuality, greedy to pack practice. God didn't, tr- didn't teach us to be greedy. He taught us to love one another. All social ills find, its, find their beginnings in greed. say that again. All social ills find their foundations in greed. It's love, church, not greed. One of these two will motivate us in our lives, even as Christians. It'll be love or greed. Apart from Christ, it's greed. In Christ, it's love. Be motivated by love. Be a follower of Jesus' truth. And he said, love one another. As I have loved you. Greed is only interested in getting. And that's not to be our our path. Our path is to be givers, not takers. Verse 20, but that is not the way you have learned Christ. And 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth as the truth is in Jesus. Now he taught us, as I said, to love one another as I have loved you. The love of Christ should constrain us. Does the love of Christ constrain you to walk in holiness and obedience? But does it also constrain you to be involved with each other? Love one another. Don't be thinking about what your next assignment is. Think about what you're doing right now who you're with, who's in your life. You're not just on a pathway to somewhere else up the ladder. God has you here for a purpose. He has a plan. He wants this body to grow. He wants this body to reach its heights. But if you're not involved with one another, if you don't care about each other, if you're not visiting with each other, then that's not going to happen, is it? People sometimes feel so alone and lonely. We need to to reach out to them and care for them and love them and make them feel important. Look at verse 22. And to put off your old self. Cast it aside. Put it off far from you. The Bible says that the old man is dead. It says there in verse 22, cast it off which belongs to your former manner of life which is corrupt or decaying through deceitful desires or lust. Now we're to cast it off. This was the former way of life. This isn't the life you have right now. But many of us are dragging around a dead corpse. You know, Jesus, when He came to Nazareth and he, the scroll was open and He read from it, and He said, "...the Spirit of the Lord was upon Me to preach good news to the poor." to open prison doors, to set the captive free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But why are we dragging around these dead corpse? Do you understand the old man is dead? But we still are selfish, greedy, we're unkind, we're harsh, we're angry, That's not the way of Christ. That's the old man. And the old man is dead, the Bible says. Now, you do have two natures in you. Let's be honest. As believers, we have a Christ-like nature, and we have our flesh. The flesh didn't die. The old man died. That was the person that was under Satan's rule. And yes, the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians, That if your father is not the heavenly father, then your father is the devil. So before we were transferred into the kingdom of God, we were all under his curse. But Jesus broke that curse at the cross. And now you are brand new. So which nature are you going to feed? Do you feed yourself on the word of God first thing in the morning? Do you pray? Do you take captive all those thoughts? Do you start singing to the Lord in the morning? Do you worship Him? Do you give thanksgiving for a new day of life? How do you start your day? The Lord wants us to prepare ourselves each and every morning for the day ahead. Don't drag that old man, that old man that's dead, around with you with all of its deceitful lust and ugliness. Verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You know, that reminds me of Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this world. The word conformed there means to be patterned after. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, metamorphosed. The Holy Spirit changes us by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing there is where we get the word renovation. He wants to renovate our thought processes. So we're not fleshly and worldly and unkind and greedy and selfish. But we flow with generosity, with love, with His peace, with His joy. Doesn't the Scripture say the joy of the Lord is our strength? Let His joy flow in and out of you. Out of your belly, Jesus said, will flow Rivers of living water. So let's be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Verse 24, And put on, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness. You know, our righteousness is his filthy rags. But His imputed righteousness to us means you're, you are in right standing with God. You wonder, how does God see me? God sees you as righteousness righteous. Positionally, you are righteous. However, practically, we're still quite able to sin. I know I am. Are you? We can all still sin. So what did Christ do at the cross? He gave you choice. He gave you a decision that you can now choose righteousness. You don't have to sin. The power of sin has been broken over your life. But unfortunately, the devil tempts us and many times we still listen to his lies and we make the wrong choice and we choose ungodly decisions, selfish decisions, decisions that hurt each other, jealous decisions. But verse 24 says to put on a new, put on what? To put on the new self. This is a commandment. Again, going back to the armor of God. But that's another day. But put it on. Start with the the helmet, as I said earlier. The mind is the battlefield. I'm going to say it again. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So first thing in the morning, put that armor on. Then enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Worship him. Then have some prayer. And then read the scriptures. You say, well, Lloyd, I pick my iPhone up first. Or I pick up my Android. No. No, don't pick up your phone first thing in the morning unless you're putting up the Bible app or you're putting some worship music on so you can worship and praise the Lord. That's okay. But don't just go on and look at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatever else is on there. WhatsApp. Well, I got to get on WhatsApp. Well, have you worshiped the Lord yet? Have you called out to him? Have you thanked him for a new day of life? You know, your breath comes from him. He holds your breath. Boy, that means a lot to me because I almost lost my breath. He is the air that I breathe. Is He your air that you breathe? Verse 25. Therefore, once again, because of this, because you have put on this likeness of God, having put away, you now He's going to talk about some things we need to put away. Put away falsehood. What is falsehood? Your, your scripture might say lies, but it's actually, it actually means anything that's in conflict with the Word of God. Put it away. Notice it's not God putting it away, it's you putting it away. You now have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You now have the power of God. You don't have to choose to sin. Well, Lloyd, I have addiction. I have to go out and get a smoke in the morning. Yeah, that that is a physical addiction. And do Christians smoke? Yes, they do. Should they smoke? No, they shouldn't. That's something we have to take captive and we have to break that that habit. Can it be demonic? Yes. But I've known people, after breaking that nicotine demonic bondage, they still have the habit. Or maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's anger, wrath. Maybe it's controlling. Hey, if I'm not in control, you don't obey me, you don't do things my way, then you're, you're out. Listen, all of that is stinking flesh. Let's, let's do things God's way. So falsehood, anything in conflict with the Word of God. Now, Dr. Bruce Corman, a Hebrew and Greek scholar, he says this about this passage. He says each one of us need to pray this. And I quite agree with him, and I did it. And let me tell you, the outcome was uh, frightening. Holy Spirit, convict me today. Tell me what's right in my life. But tell me what's wrong in my life. Try that prayer. I dare you. Because I have prayed that prayer. You know, you think you got everything right. You think you got all your ducks in a row. But God comes to you and deals with you and says... No, there's some attitudes I want changed. There's some motivations I want you to think about. Why are you here? Why do you play that piano? Sorry, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) What what is your motivation for serving? Is your motivation because you want to be seen? Oh, I can't miss. Hi, too. I have to be seen. That's my my job. I'm the only one that can do it. Listen, you're doing it out of love for God. Your commitment is Christ. Not just to be seen and noticed or your stepping stone to something else. That should never be. So are you living a lie? And remember, you know how to find that out. Pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, convict me. Tell me what's right, what's wrong with what I'm doing, what's not pleasing to you. Falsehood, yeah, it's lying. And it's usually selfish. It's far removed from God's character. We are related to each other, and we shouldn't be lying to each other, should we, church? Verse 25 goes on to say, For we are members one of another speak truth with each other. Don't hide things from some but keep it in your little clique. Now I understand sometimes there's people we trust and some we don't. Unfortunately some people are not trustworthy. That ought not to be by the way. When someone says I'm telling you something in confidence it's in confidence. You don't share it with someone else. Did you know that's a sin? Well, as soon as they're gone and they've told you to keep in comms, you're on the phone with Sally. Hey, Sally, that's what he told me. You can't believe this. That's sin. Okay? That's wickedness. And it stinks in God's eyes. Get rid of it. So God's character, let that be your character. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Did you know it's okay to be angry? Be angry. Stop. Yes, there's some some things are going to make you angry. Do you remember Jesus when he went in the temple and he saw them uh, at the money changers and they were selling things in the, in the temple? Did Jesus say, Oh, how nice? They're selling and doing a lot of good things here. No. He he was quietly made a whip and he walked over and he walked up, and they were like smiling, hi. Yeah, hi. Foof! And started whipping those guys. Yeah, Jesus. He whipped them. And then he kicked over their tables and said, get out of here. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. God wants this place to be holy, but who makes it holy and unholy is us. How do you carry yourself? How does God see you? How have you prepared before you came this morning? Were you in prayer? Were you in the Word? Were you crying out for me to help Lloyd through this message? Because, boy, I need it. <laughs> we need to We need to start praying for each other. Being involved with each other. Caring about each other. So be angry and sin not. That word angry, by the way, has the meaning of wrath. It has a meaning of judgment. Like I said, money, uh, anger can be okay. I told you one about Jesus in the temple. But there was another time he was at a Pharisee's house and there was a man with a withered hand and he was, with the, he was with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But it was a Sabbath day. So they didn't think he should do a healing on the Sabbath. It was against their rules. And the Bible says Jesus looked on them with anger and told the man, stretch forth your hand. And he healed it. And the Bible says that they left going to plot Jesus' demise. They wanted to murder him. You know, don't let your, your codes, your bylaws of your denomination stand in front of you obeying God. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. He doesn't change his mind. And I know right now in the Church of England, we're battling a lot of things that the Bible, some that says is wrong. And in the hierarchy, they're, they're debating on these subjects. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those above you. We don't go with the status quo. It may look politically correct. It may feel like it is. But God is a holy God. You go against God, good luck. Because the, in the, when the Jews were in the temple back in Jeremiah's day, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, as they sinned and disobeyed God, the Spirit of the Lord moved from hovering over the mercy seat, and it moved to the threshold of the altar. Then over time, the Holy Spirit moved to the back door. But guess what? No one saw it move. Because remember, he's spirit. You can't see. And then one day, the spirit wasn't at the back door anymore. He left. See, the Jews didn't believe that their temple could be destroyed. And when Jeremiah was prophesying that there was Babylon was coming, and they would destroy it, they thought he was a false prophet, and that's why they put him in prison. How could could anyone destroy the temple gods there? But what they didn't understand is God had pulled back his presence. You and I must determine whether the Holy Spirit has pulled back His presence or His anointing from your life. He doesn't leave us. But He can get very quiet if we're doing things that He doesn't like. Verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. That word devil there has the meaning of diabolical. Yes, he is. Don't let him trick you. When you're standing up for what you believe, it's not personal. It's personal with God. You don't judge the person. You just warn them. You share the truth with them. Be honest. Be clear where your stand is. But don't let it destroy you or get you so angry and upset. Be angry and sin not. You see, there is a place where in our anger we can sin. I spoke about the ones where it's angry and we don't sin, like Jesus is our example. But there's times when we get angry and we do sin. And we become wrathful. And we see dangerous, dangerous place to be in. So the the devil is diabolical. Don't let him trick you. It's not personal. It should be only personal with God. On the things that need to be judged. Vengeance is mine. And I will repay, the Bible says. Not you and not me. His vengeance. He's quite good at it. Just put the person in God's hands. Don't try to destroy them yourself. That's not your call. Verse 28. Let the thief... No longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now the thief there, that word thief is where we get our word kleptomaniac. There are three kinds of people in this world. Those who can work and do work. Then there's a second person. Those who who could work and they don't work. Because they're lazy. And then there's a third person. Those who can't work due to disabilities, hardships, or they work and they're in poverty. Our motivation to work should not be just for me and my family. But it should also be be as the scripture in verse 28 says, for those who can't work For those who are in poverty. And let me say this. You know, we give to the poor, but we give the least. Oh, Joey needs some food? Sure. I'll go go get the generic stuff and cheapest stuff in the candy. It tastes like cardboard. Yeah, I'll give him a lot of food. No. That holds no grace with God. Give the best. What would you give your children? That's what you give. You want to take them out to eat? Take them to a nice restaurant and feed them if you're able to. Do good to others. Love others as you would want them to love you. So there's three kinds of people. Which one are you in that group? If you're able to work, then use your resources for the kingdom. By the way, the more we have, the more responsible we are for this. Remind you, we will all give account on judgment day and stand before the Bema seat of Christ. That's not a seat where we're going to determine whether we're saved or not. That, if you're at that judgment, you're already saved. But you will be judged for your works. What you do for Christ and what you don't do for Christ. Or how your motivations... What you gave. What you didn't give. What you could have given. But you were selfish. Verse 29. Let no corrupt or decay talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now listen. We are to say things that build one another up. Not tear each other down. This is true. And we're not to let... Corrupting talk come out of our mouth. That word there actually means to be rotten. The mouth speaks what comes from the heart. What's in your heart? What flows out of your mouth should be godliness, love, mercy, grace, tender-hearted, gentleness, kindness, those, some of those are the fruits of the Spirit that doesn't mean unless to give the balance here that there's not times that you have to care enough to confront someone because we study the whole entire Scripture we know that sometimes we have to confront people where they're at and be honest with them and tell them hey what you're doing is not right but go in humbleness go in. I remember one time the Lord before I became a minister years ago Lord sent me to a minister who was showed me he was doing some just some terrible sins, and I, I didn't want to do it. I said, Lord, and I fought it. And then the Lord laid me out and says, I want you to go and talk to him, but go in humbleness, brokenness, and in tears. So I finally went. I was crying. I said, Pastor, he said, what is it, Lord? I could see the Holy Spirit's on Just tell me. I said, Lord, Lord, tell me. I was... <laughs> the Lord told me you're in sin. It reminded me of that passage where Samuel, a little boy, and God was calling to him. Finally, when he said, speak, Lord, your servants. Listen, he told him all about his predecessor. The man who, his mentor, excuse me, uh, Eli. He, was, he, had, he had taught him the ways of the Lord, but he was in sin. He was not not disciplining his children. He was allowing them to be rebellious and sinful in the house of God. And because of that, the Lord judged Eli and removed him from the priesthood. By the way, killed both of his sons. Church, sometimes it's hard to do what God commands us to do. But we have to be obedient. Amen? Let no corrupting talk come out of you, but only do that which is good in building up. Verse 30, But do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grieve grieve there is to hinder His work in your life first, but also the lives of others and in the church. Do not grow, grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit has feelings? He's a gentleman in my mind. He's not going to move if you're if you're not opening the door for him to come. If you're not I mean I know he's in us, but in a church setting like this, in a sense he comes collectively to speak to us. And we ask What does the Spirit have to say? We have a time where we have, where Andrew does during the praise and worship, he allows us to give words, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words, tongues and interpretations. But if we grieve him, if we've hindered him, then he. He's not going to move. You see, the Holy Spirit has a criteria. He has circumstances where He will move. But he, there are circumstances where He won't move. And if we grieve Him with the way we handle ourselves, with the way we talk with people, He's not going to function. Not in the way He wants to. He mentioned kingdom there. That was an interesting because I thought, why kingdom? Why would he say, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption? Redem- well, excuse me, he said redemption, not kingdom. Redemption, and I found out this again going back to the Greek scholar, Bruce Corman, redemption always means kingdom. It always has to do with kingdom. In other words, he purchased us for a purpose. We have a calling. We have assignments that we each have to fulfill. But if we're hurting people and we're blocking them from operating in their purposes, we grieve Holy Spirit. Are you blocking people from fulfilling their call because you feel like, well, that's that's just off limits. I'm the only one that does this. I've always done this. Well, guess what? Moses always did it too. But one day he had to train someone and there was a young man named Joshua. And the Bible says that when Moses was in the tent, face-to-face with God, and he left, there was a young man still sitting in that tent of meetings. Joshua, bathing in the presence of God, being prepared for the day God would call him forth. When are you going to allow your Joshua to work? This is one of the things I like about uh, Reverend Dosia and Andrew. They allow people to come up and speak and share this whole series. So many of us have come. By the way, they've done an excellent job. I'm not quite as eloquent as some of the other speakers. I've been telling Maggie how how impressed I am with how people speak, how they share and teach the word. It's been awesome. But, But be conduits for the Lord to use you to help others. Don't be a person who grieves the Holy Spirit. And here's some things to watch out for. Verse 31, for grieving the Holy Spirit. You want to know, am I grieving? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, okay? Verse 31, let all bitterness... Bitterness, if you've got bitterness, that means you've gone pretty far. Bitterness is something down in your character. It's in your DNA. It's wrapped around you in the inside of you. Usually from some opening you have. If it's anger... It gets in you. Then you become a wrathful person and it talks about that bitterness and wrath. Wrath. Uncontrollable seething. Which turns into clamor. Which clamor is attention to ourselves. It's selfishness. Oh, it's all about me. I've got to be the first one to speak. I've got to be the one everyone noticed. I'm the only one that moves in the prophetic. Listen, God can speak through a donkey. Oh, by the way, he did. To a prophet. Well, some things he was just a soothsayer. I am of the opinion, I think he, he did hear from God because God sure spoke through that soothsayer. Boy, did he speak quite a few prophetic words. But when he was doing what God didn't want, the donkey stopped because he saw an angel standing in the way saying, don't go any further. That angel was ready to kill Balaam. Who's standing in our way and you can't even see him? God wants to move here, church. He wants to do great things here. Are you ready to see that happen? Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the the wrath. The clamor. But then there's one even worse than that. And it's the one... Of malice. Malice is when we, when we want to hurt someone. That's when we want to... It's not just in us anymore. Now we want to actually wound them and cause them to, to no longer be of use here. Remove them. Do something harsh. I understand there's times that you have to discipline. The Bible talks about that but don't be used of the enemy just because you don't like them. And now you've interrupted their walk with God, what God has called them to do. All of us in this church, in God's eyes, stand open and equal before the Lord. And He wants us to be people who help people reach their purposes, not hinder them. Because we don't like them. Be kind one to another. Oh, I missed one in 31. Slander. Stop the slandering. Stop putting people down. Stop talking about each other. Stop gossiping. That's not of God. Well, I don't like the vicar. Let me tell you why I don't like him. You know what? Pray for him. Stop talking about him he's God's man you don't want to do anything to stop that verse 32 be kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you God wants us to be kind with each other church well I'm not upset this morning i am gonna walk right by people not even say hi that's not kindness people are looking to you to say hi they come to church and they want to see a smile on your face. They want to wonder if I'm hurting. Well, that's that's understandable. Sometimes we are hurting, aren't we? And at that point we come alongside and we we love and we care and we and we we pray for each other. But in general, be kind, be nice to each other. Tender hearted. Now that word tender hearted doesn't mean to wear your your feelings on your sleeve. No, that's not what it means. Don't think it means, well, I'm tender-hearted. You can't tell me anything. You can't bring me correction because I'll get hurt. No, that's not what it means. To be tender-hearted is to fill up someone's hurts. So someone else is wounded. They're hurting. You are the vessel to help them feel better. Fill up their hurts. Okay? That's tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Guys, don't be like this. I forgive them. I just don't want anything to do with them anymore because what they did. That's not forgiveness. Well, do you know what they're doing? Do you know the lifestyle they're living now? I cut them off. Righteous. Let me tell you. Maybe you ought to, in your righteousness, show love. That doesn't mean you accept what they're doing. Maybe what they're doing is wrong. Tell them so. In love. Go to them weeping. Sister, what you're doing is wrong. It's not right. But I love you. And I'm not giving up on you. I'm praying for you. And if they know Christ, God's going to chasten. Let me tell you, He chastens those whom He loves. Don't give up on people so easily. First chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, knowing all of this, be imitators of God. Jesus is our example, folks. As beloved children, we're to be children, childlike. We're not to be all the theologians. We're to be children. Jesus loved the children. The disciples wanted to push the kids away. He says, no, no, bring them. I want the kids. He loved the kids. We should too, and we ought to be kids a little bit more. Doesn't mean that we live as babes. We have to grow up and mature in Christ. But still have that childlikeness about you. Have faith. Children believe. We need to believe. We need to be people of faith. So he loved us. He gave himself up for us. He became a fragrant offering in verse 2. Fragrant offering. He smells good. Do we smell good? Do we smell good to others, to unbelievers? Offering means to draw near. We need to be fragrant offerings to God that He likes us to come near to Him. And we need to be and sacrifice to God. Be willing to die. Be willing to die to all that's your flesh. Now, as as I close, I want to ask everyone for a moment to bow your head. God has dealt with me and He's asked me to ask five things, although I can't seem to find the five things. Now, why is that? Oh, there it is. So he's asked me. And I'm going to ask you what he's moved over me. By the way, I had to answer these in my spirit. I'm going to ask you. Remember, before I ask these, you're going to take communion today. Remember that. Have I grieved Holy Spirit? Answer that question for you. Number two, is it really all about Jesus with you? Or do you have other motivations? Is it really all about Jesus? Three, have I done something to someone that God wants you to go back and do differently? Make it right. Have you done something? Care enough, church, to confront. And number four. Have I a platform agenda to elevate me to the people? Do I need to be recognized? Do I have to be the most spiritual one? Or is it okay if God uses someone else? And number five. And this one was the one that was most poignant to me. God wants repentance. He wants change. Or he is grieved. Will you repent? Will you change? Will you do what he wants us to do, church? I had to repent when I answered some of these. Maybe you will too. Thank you.